Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by my colleagues Amber Athey and Ollie Wiseman. And we're going to be talking today about the Virginia governor's race, which is the big political story in the United States right now. Terry McAuliffe, a former governor of Virginia, he is in a heated contest against the Republican Glenn Youngkin. Uh, At least it was heated. Now it may not be so much. Uh, A new poll from Fox News has found that uh, Youngkin is now leading McAuliffe by eight points, which represents a dramatic turnaround in the race. McAuliffe had led throughout most of the race. All of a sudden, we see this shift of momentum towards Youngkin. It's very, very intense, and it's really energizing the political world. Uh, We've seen a kind of desperate campaign, a desperate attempt by the McAuliffe campaign to try to make up that ground. They've brought in everybody from Joe Biden to Kamala Harris is in Virginia right now, uh, to Barack Obama, trying to to swing that momentum back, trying to push Terry McAuliffe over the finish line. Amber, what do you make of the race here in Virginia? Yeah, I think what's really telling with the way that the McAuliffe campaign is campaigning at this point is they are really focused on the very liberal portion of Northern Virginia, particularly in Arlington, where they believe they can turn out the base. But this Fox News poll also shows that Youngkin voters are way more excited to vote for him than McAuliffe voters are to vote for McAuliffe, um, which speaks to, of course, that enthusiasm gap. So even if McAuliffe were able to turn out some of these um, likely voters in Arlington counties, Youngkin is still doing really well in Loudoun and Fairfax, which is usually where these Virginia races are decided. And also in that Fox News poll, you see that even on the coronavirus, where Youngkin has been accused of being an anti-vaxxer, he's been accused of wanting people to die by the McAuliffe campaign, Youngkin leads by one percentage point on that issue. And he absolutely trounces McAuliffe on education, the economy, and crime, which are the top issues for Virginia voters right now. So McAuliffe really hasn't had an answer to any of those policy questions. And so he's gone on more of an ad hominem attack spree. He's tried to compare Youngkin to Trump. He has accused Youngkin of wanting to burn books, et cetera, et cetera. And this latest Fox News poll just shows that those efforts are for naught because he is really running in a different race than Youngkin when you look at what issues Virginians actually care about. Well, just to just to pick up on, on what Amber said, I think there's a there's a way in which Democrats generally have kind of mis, really misread the mood um, in the state. You know, you had Obama campaigning there uh, last weekend, and he 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 basically accused the um, the Republican campaign of of kind of focusing on what I think he called phony culture war issues um, that serious people don't talk about um, and doesn't actually affect people's lives. And actually, you know, the, the problem with that is that. I think for a lot of um, Virginia voters, even and you know, including in sort of firmly democratic parts of the state, um, these "quote unquote" culture war issues are actually about you know what their children are learning in the classroom, whether that classroom is even open. You know, the sexual assault case that's covered up in, in, in by by a school board um, for political reasons. So you know, these are Republicans are capitalizing on very sort of reasonable, I think, um, worries about some of these things. And the kind of high handedness with which lots of senior Democrats seem to think they can, can, can wish those those things away is, is I think, what's part of what's cost, costing um, costing their candidates so badly. It strikes me that this this campaign is about very serious, even dire issues like the sexual assaults in Loudoun County, like the the lingering shadow of Donald Trump. But there's also it's taken on this hilarious dimension as well. And, and sometimes this happens in campaigns when 
campaign people like remind you that they're not fully human almost it's like that that moment in invasion of the body snatchers where they realize that that these are aliens and we keep seeing that over and over and over again right i mean just the the presumption by the McAuliffe campaign, first of all, that what people really want is to hear from all these heavy hitters, that if they just bring in the heavy artillery, that's going to to solve all these issues. The idea that you can say at a debate, as McAuliffe did, that parents should have no say in their children's education, that that somehow is you know <clears throat> a reasonable thing that you can just offend parents and that's not going to redound to your lack of political benefit. And then, but I think the moment that really did it for me, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's this ad that's running on on YouTube videos for the most part, and it's by the McAuliffe campaign, and it features a bunch of Muppets singing, and they're singing about, it, it's like a Sesame Street style thing where they're singing about how much they love people on their neighborhood, and then they end with, except for Gary who doesn't vote, and then this poor schlub comes out who like didn't vote, and all the Muppets are staring at him judgmentally, and it's just this weird, dark bizarre kind of thing and it says you know brought to you by tara mcauliffe for for governor they're trying to drive out the vote obviously of course but it's this coercive mentality that they're taking to it which i think is probably how the left thinks in a lot of ways like your abortion rights are on the line and so climate change matters and how dare you not vote and and it, it but it just takes on this very hectoring tone and so i i think there's been a lot of hilarity that's come out of this race too i mean it's 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 been funny to watch somebody who is like as un-Virginian as Terry McAuliffe, except for the northern part of the state, maybe, try to to fit in and, and try to get voters to vote for him. Firstly, I would say we shouldn't lose sight of the, the kind of comedy value of this of this race, because obviously Terry McAuliffe is sort of an absurd parody of, Was- of a Washington insider who was, was sort of boasted about how much his his business, uh, you know, his how much his net worth is built off the back of his Clinton contacts. And... And you know he had famously bad dance moves, kind of cringe, kind of cringe, um, cringe inside a candidate against this kind of um, you know finance bro turned politician, um, both of whom live in massive houses in Northern Virginia. And so, in a way, there's something. While that's funny, there's also something I would say kind of reassuringly normal about this election in that it's just two kind of middle of the road candidates duking it out over a mixture of national and local issues. And, um, you know, I think the serious point in there is that that's the misread of the situation on the Democrat side is that they, their rhetoric is not for a normal campaign. Their rhetoric is this like democracy is on the line. Um, if you if you um, if you don't vote, then, um, you know, what was the, the Biden had a line about sort of tyranny coming in a in a in a sweater vest or something about about yeah. about the Republican campaign? So I just think that that's kind <laughs> of the we should pause and just acknowledge the kind of normalness of it and and sort of welcome that on a certain level. Yeah, I think it really reminds us of why Trump was able to be so successful despite the sort of screeching uh, opposition to him because. These are attacks that Democrats use on the most normal of people like Glenn Youngkin. You know, the line from Biden was he was an extremist in a fleece vest because there we he go. Wears, yeah, yeah. yeah, because he wears the fleece yeah. vest with his campaign logo on it. And nobody believes that Glenn Youngkin is, is some radical extremist. And when I went to the Loudoun County uh, School Board meeting on Tuesday night, a lot of the parents there were referencing the fact that they had been referred to as domestic terrorists or that Obama had accused them of engaging in the phony outrage and the phony culture wars. 
And those are issues on the school board level that really cut across party lines. And so you see a, a really heavy backlash from people when they get labeled in that way. And it's kind of shocking to me that the Democrats didn't realize just how alienating that was to voters um, in 2016. I, I think maybe in 2020, they thought since Biden was able to win, that those types of tactics were still effective um, and that 2016 was an anomaly, but it really wasn't. And then you have, you know, as you guys mentioned, the attempts by like obviously a reptilian politician trying to appeal to normal people. And there was this infamous moment early on in the campaign where Terry McAuliffe was grilling on the 4th of July, but his grill wasn't even turned on. And he had just a bunch of raw meat on this cold grill. Um, He had like a beer in his hand and he was like, I love my cold beer. It's basically like the Elizabeth Warren moment or Hillary Clinton doing the video where she said she was just chilling and Cedar Rapids. So you have basically this really phony person who thinks that everyone against him is evil. And then you have a guy who just kind of like listens to the voters and reflects their concerns, regardless of, you know, whether that's considered taking advantage or not. And it's really hard to see how this could have turned out any other way. I think it's always really funny when American elites try to immerse themselves in in populist America, right? In in those kinds of traditions, and you end up with, you know, raw steaks on the, on a cold grill, and presumably everybody comes down with E. coli afterwards. But, but, but yeah, and, and also Amber, you know, you, you put your finger on it. This mentality of how dare you have an opinion about your child being taught racism in the classroom? Uh, also, how dare you have an opinion on on abortion as well? This is another attack, uh, a false one, actually, that Terry McAuliffe is bringing against Youngkin. Uh, He says, uh, this is one of his most recent tweets, a vote for Glenn Youngkin is a vote to ban abortion, as though we're electing Glenn Youngkin to the Supreme Court, right, as though he's up for Supreme Court justice, or or even like a legislator who could, could, you know, propose a bill about uh, drawing back abortion rights, whatever it might be. It's just nonsense. Even the Washington Post has said that this isn't true, that this is a lie. Uh, but the McAuliffe campaign uh, persists with it. And I, I wonder if, you know, the, the Democrats approach, the left's approach to these kinds of cultural brouhaha's so far have been to deny them for the most part, right? To say that they're made up. Critical race theory doesn't really exist in the classroom. These are just conspiracy theories, this sort of stuff. I wonder if this, is, this race is going to prove a, a kind of inflection point for that. Right. Where so many people say, no, actually, these are real and they're affecting us. You know, they're they're in our classroom that it just doesn't really it doesn't work anymore uh, because McAuliffe has invested a lot of energy into just waving this stuff away. And it doesn't seem to be working on on that point, Matt, and just to broaden the, the conversation out a little bit to the sort of national political kind of um, consequences and, and context and so on. I actually two two things, two theories to test on you guys. One is that I actually think that a, a, a Republican win in Virginia is arguably the best possible thing that could happen to the Democrats because, you know, to flip that around, if they just like squeak it and, and McAuliffe wins, you know, there's a way in which they'll probably fail to learn learn these lessons. And maybe they'd fail to learn them anyway, right? But but I think you can you can construct a scenario where actually they lose uh, they lose next week, and it's a big wake-up call from which they actually decide to, you know, take, as you say, like take some of these things a little more seriously. And 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 then so that's theory number one. And theory number two is 
that at, there's a lot of you know if you read Politico or you read um, the Washington Post or whatever sort of pretty much every day for the last couple of weeks there's this way in which that you know the the race in Virginia is tied to what's going on on the hill and that if only they had passed some legislation by now that it would be a very different story and McAuliffe would have a much easier run of things because that's what voters are waiting for my you know non-scientific impression is that that's not true really and that actually no one in Virginia is that bothered about what's going on in Washington and that these issues of the classroom of what's going on in the economy more broadly to do with inflation and so on these are the things that people are interested in and the idea that if they lose next week that it was because they didn't pass build back better or just even the infrastructure or whatever I just you know, I, you can see how it sort of would maybe there's some like diehard Democrats who would be just a, a bit deflated, but they're probably voting anyway, right? So I just don't really buy that. I just don't really buy that theory about the race. Yeah, I don't buy that secondary theory either. I really don't think the Build Back Better agenda is sort of this like huge achievement that the Democrats are trying to make it out to be. Um, but on your first point, I just don't think that the Democrats will learn their lesson. I don't I don't think that they're astute enough or in touch with the voters enough. I mean Terry McAuliffe is already really taking the Trump line actually and saying that if he loses that there's going to be that it's because there was voter fraud. Um, he's accused the Republicans of trying to steal the election um, and he's campaigning with Stacey Abrams. So they're already um, trying to deflect responsibility for whatever happens. And you also see in the media a lot of downplaying of this sexual assault case, if they even cover it. The latest line now is they're talking about um, details from the uh, the courtroom appearances of the victim and perpetrator themselves. And they're pointing out the fact that the young girl had had previous consensual sexual encounters with the boy wearing a skirt, as if to say this destroys the idea that biological boys shouldn't be in girls bathrooms like if anything it only I think makes that point more salient that underage kids shouldn't be allowed to follow each other into the bathroom regardless of whether or not the sex is consensual because that's just inappropriate to begin with and I even heard a reporter at the school board meeting on the phone with his editor down the row from me and he sounded actually distressed that the sexual assault cover-up could be true. Like he was so stunned that this reporting and the parents' outrage may have been genuine. And it took him until a week before the election to figure that out. And he's presumably not, you know, a Democratic Party activist. He sounded to me like maybe he was just some guy who's been reporting for 34 years and probably leans left. But if you compare that to the Democratic Party, right, like he's going to already be more, I guess, willing to believe this narrative than the Democratic Party is. And it took him that long to get there. And he still sounded surprised by it. Um, so I just don't think that they're going to learn anything from this. I, I, we haven't seen any evidence in the past that they've learned anything from these embarrassing elections. And the 2016 election when Trump won is a perfect example of that. Matt, what do, what do you think? Do you think that the the ideological fog is too thick for them to possibly learn anything or, or, or not? Uh, they may. I, I think there's a couple of reasons why this matters to them a lot. And that is that 
First of all, off-year elections can be predictive. Uh, you guys might remember 2009 when uh, Bob McDonnell and Republicans swept the board in Virginia and Chris Christie won in New Jersey. And that turned out to be a harbinger of what was to come in 2010 when Republicans swept the Congress. So Democrats have some idea they might be in trouble next year and they want to, to minimize that. So they're hoping that this can be a test case and they can get McAuliffe elected. Uh, they're going to be worried if, if Glenn Youngkin wins in a few days here. And then I think the second thing is that they've been very badly trying to use Trump as a wedge to drive apart the Republican Party's suburban wings and uh, more grassroots wings, I guess. Uh, you know, the, the pro-Trumpers versus the, the Trump skeptical at the very least. And Virginia is very much a testing ground for this because I think that Virginia is probably, it probably has the greatest divide between its metropolitan north and its its rural southwest. The, the political and cultural gap between those two is probably greater than in any other state, right? I mean, you have really kind of hardcore, you know, Trump rural voters. I shouldn't say hardcore, that's the wrong word, but you understand what I'm saying down in the southwest. I mean, that's that's coal mining America. And then in the north, you have the, the suburbs of Washington, D.C., which are very, very woke and liberal. Uh, a friend of mine offered up Washington State as a possible alternative, Seattle versus Tacoma. But I think Virginia is probably uh, the biggest gap that you're going to find. And if Glenn Youngkin can bring together those two halves, right, if he can unite the Trump skeptical Republicans in northern Virginia with the Trumpist Republicans in southern Virginia, then that's going to show that the Republican Party as a whole has a way out of this thing, a way out of this problem. And uh, they don't want that. They want to make they want to try to hang Trump's Trump around the, the GOP's neck like an albatross, which is why they keep trying to basically say that Glenn Youngkin is Trump, even though he very, very clearly isn't. Uh, if he wins, I think that's going to be a repudiation of that strategy. On, on the point about sort of the Trump Trump light, you know, Trump kin kind of uh, line from Democrats, it's also interesting to me that. On the, on the one hand, they spend most of their time saying that. And then on the other hand, they go on, they stand up at, uh, at uh, rallies and say, you know, where's, where's, where's Donald? Like, why isn't he here? Like what, you know, and actually that's kind of doing Youngkin's work for him, right? I mean, it's obvious that, 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 that they're not, you know, natural bedfellows. Otherwise, um, otherwise Trump would be, would be there beside him. Uh, and I think the more Democrats kind of point that out, the more they sort of undermine their own kind of core argument about about the Republican candidate. I think that um, another interesting component of this race and how it affects the Republican Party is that even though Youngkin himself um, kind of came across as maybe slightly more moderate than your average um, Trump conservative, um, his victory would be a huge blow to that wing of the party because he has gone full bore on cultural issues. And one of the major complaints from centrist Republicans is that Trump was focused too much on culture wars and he should have been focused on lowering taxes and deregulation and helping the economy. And Youngkin is about to prove, provided all of the polling is correct, that actually going all in on cultural wars and doing it in a smart and effective way is a really good playbook for winning an election. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.